San Francisco appear to have locked down Kyle Shanahan, Atlanta, this offensive coordinator, to be their next head coach. Fitz, surely Kyle Shanahan deserves better. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at a lot of coaching moves from around the league, a couple of retirements and injury discussions and facing up to the Pro Bowl. We're going to review the games from last week, take your questions and then preview the greatest match of all time. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Hey. And we got Fitz. Hello. Oh, so how are you getting on lads, any crack? I'm just, I'm just basking in glory, mm. lording it over you peasants. Yeah, who aren't going to the Super Bowl. I'm enjoying myself. Then again, I'm going to be one hosting the party, so I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's going to make a snack stadium. It's going to be fucking class. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. I need to get a load of cardboard and some fucking lollipop sticks, like. But trust is there me. going to be like a, a statue of Tom Brady, like the Colossus of Rhodes? Oh, Jesus, like maybe I, I, I don't know what I'm going to make that out of lad. Like, screw you guys. I'm not, not going to let you hold me back anymore. I'm going to become a clown. Yeah, I'm not very artistic, I'm afraid. Oh, what did yourself fit? Any story? Uh, quite enough. I'm currently doing a lot of debugging work, so that's fun. But uh, otherwise, uh, keeping it quiet. Yeah, I'm similar enough, doing a few bits of research work in the office, but not a huge amount. That's why I had the, the German over last weekend, so he overcooked that goose a little bit in the, in the, in the horrors on Sunday night for the games. Yeah, you weren't in the best of form. <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I was a bit shook. I was not drinking for the football. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes, sir. Look, we'll fly out in because we've got a lot to fly through this week and we want to put a lot of time into our Pro Bowl hype at the end. I suppose we'll kick off with coaching moves. There's been a lot of them around in the last week or so. So um, we'll start with Indianapolis. Ryan Grigson has been fired as GM, but they're going to hold on to Pagano for uh, some unfathomable reason. Obviously, getting rid of Ryan Grigson is a positive and not getting rid of Pagano is a negative. Where do we stand on this? Just neutral, I guess? With Pagano, I say he's showing a lot of patience there, perhaps too much at this point. Maybe the idea is that Grigson was so toxic that maybe they're saying, look, somebody who can pick better personnel might give him a chance to succeed, and they're willing to give him a go on those terms, given that we have seen him have some successes with Indianapolis uh, in the past. So I think that's, that's kind of the logic there. Wasn't his no. most successful season the season when he was out with cancer and someone else coached the team? It's <laughs> very insensitive, Connor. Um, like his, no, his most I, successful season as head coach was when he Bruce did Arians head, head coach. coach. But the, the, the point remains that, that they clear. I think that's the logic behind this move. Grigson being gone, it's hilarious. You see the reaction to Grigson leaving is amazing. All the Colts players are on social media oh, being yeah. like, "Oh, thank God, I'm free. Master has given Dobby a sock." This is amazing. <laughs> like Jarrell Freeman tweeted that, "Oh, you know, thank God he's gone." And one of the former players is like, "Yeah." You were one of his mistakes, man. And people got all, Whoa, but it turns out he was like saying, oh, cutting you is one of his mistakes. So <laughs> there's a lot of like salt and bitterness there from that team. And it's it's remarkable just the reaction. Because we generally don't see players publicly react to these oh, kind yeah. of moves. And the extent to which we saw from this was kind of telling. Absolutely. So I, th- I, think, and I think that's what's probably saved Pagano in the, the cases such that it's like Grigson was seen as being so much the problem with this team that it was affecting the players themselves yeah. and affecting their happiness and making them feel like they were consistently being screwed over. So I think they're going to give them, you know, give them another season, see if that they can shake out of that and uh, perhaps succeed with, A, somebody who's better at picking personnel, but also just getting rid of that presence that seemed to have been casting this power over the stadium. We're only really finding out about the extent of now. Yeah. So the, the, the next largest kind of move, although it's not 100% guaranteed, but it seems to be kind of locked in, is uh, San Francisco appear to have locked down Kyle Shanahan, Atlanta's offensive coordinator, to be their next head coach. Fitz, 
Surely Kyle Shanahan deserves better. <laughs> well, yeah, there's probably a certain strand of thought that goes that he should uh, he should avoid this, kind of stay in a successful team and, and pick a better opportunity. But San Francisco is pretty much pulling out the red carpet for him. Like, he's not officially hired yet, but they're going to have more interviews with him this week, which will also involve potential GM candidates. Yeah, he gets he gets to essentially decide who he wants in as his GM or has a large say in it, isn't it? Exactly. So when you're talking about that level of control over a team, you can understand why it's incredibly tempting. And I assume he hopes, or like if he takes the job, he'll hope that Jed York will basically keep his nose out of things and he'll take over. If he's successful, and you can be successful in San Francisco if you have control, uh, like as Jim Harbaugh had, then he will stay out of it for a time. It's just a question of whether Jed York will have learned his lesson and stay out full time. Uh, and let the actual coach get on with it. Like, you know, there's been a bit of success this year, obviously, with Adam Gates coming in as a young offensive hotshot. I assume that's the kind of trend that they're trying to latch onto here. There's yeah. really nothing on the roster to do. He can build it in his image, and uh, it could be, it'll be interesting to see it at the very least. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lots of risk here in this job. Yeah, it's a big it's a big project he's taking on. The Chargers, the LACs, that's still going to throw me off every time. Gus Bradley, the former Jacksonville head coach, has now been appointed as their defensive coordinator. And Buffalo have hired uh, Rick Dennison as uh, their offensive coordinator. So do either of these hirings jump out to you, or are these more kind of just, we would have expected to see these guys get jobs, so these just happen to be the jobs they have? Yeah, like I think for Gus Bradley, this is kind of like, it's a proving ground and hoping to get another shot at a head coaching position. Basically, whether him being in Seattle with that defense that did quite well was really just Pete Carroll and Dan Quinn doing the work, and he was basically just a bit of a, a paper tiger, effectively. Uh, Rick Dennis had not really that much on him, but like Denver's offense this year was pretty boring. I, don't, I think they were expect, both these guys would be expected to get jobs, but Gus Bradley's probably the bigger name, a lot more pressure there, especially yeah. in a team which has all that talent on defense. Yeah, like this is the thing. It's a nice couple of young pieces they've got there. So if he's looking for a spot to try and spend a year or two and rehab his image for a head coaching role, this is probably a good setup for him. We've got a few other smaller ones as well. We've got Houston Vrabel, who was their linebackers coach, has now been promoted to defensive coordinator. Roymo Cornell, who was their defensive coordinator, has now been made assistant head coach. How exactly that's going to work, we don't know, but we'll see. Uh, Jacksonville Hackett's been promoted uh, to offensive coordinator from quarterbacks coach probably kissing in that they're going to hold on to what at least one more year of raise your portals i do i do wonder like he was clearly doing a great job there like. yeah like that 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 seems like a man who you fire not a man who you promote uh washington promote their linebacker outside linebackers coach uh greg mankuski to defensive coordinator hired jim tom sula as defensive line coach carolina promote their defensive backs coach again a man who probably doesn't deserve a job declares <laughs> a firing and he's now their defensive coordinator minnesota have made Pat Shermer permanently their OC a lot of these are reshuffles movements up inside kind of what we'd expect given that we've already seen most of the large names ship out of this this season's kind of coaching roundabout is there any of these that you think are particularly noteworthy anything kind of you think will be a big success or a big failure uh, aside from obviously the hilarious return of Jim Tom Sula uh, <laughs> I think Mike Vrabel is the one to watch, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, former Patriots linebacker, uh, continuing Houston's transition into New England South. Um, he, he's very much one to watch. He was very, very highly rated uh, mm. as a linebacker's coach and was had a, a bit more of a profile than we've seen some of the other guys part of that due to his playing career, but also just to how he was viewed around the league and internally. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not he can step up because 
this is the kind of guy who, with the experience he's had and with the reputation he has, this is a guy who could be one of the people we're talking about, you know, five, six years down the line as being a head coach mm-hmm. and catalyst. Yeah, like, if I was to pick one to be concerned about, it's probably Pat Shermer. I'm not sure what the plan for progression on that team is, given you'd expect them to be returning a pretty healthy team, but, like, more of this OC that we saw from the back half of the season stuff not really not really setting me on fire, lads. There's only so much you can do with Sam Bradford. Yeah. yeah the, the assumption is the O-line is put back together, uh, that they might be a decent offense again. Like, they did look okay earlier on in the season. It's really just when those offensive line things started hitting in that they really went downhill. And I suppose there, there is the potential for uh, Bridgewater's leg to have not fallen off and maybe having a swap there too, which might bring them back to what they were hoping to target. But for the moment, that's how the coaching carousel is pulled out. We'll, uh, we'll obviously fill you in more when we're doing our more kind of team-by-team team breakdowns and stuff during the offseason. Actually, if Bridgewater comes back, oh man, who's going to give up another first-round pick for Sam Bradford? Well, yeah, that's that, going to be an interesting that, that discussion would make for the offseason. Eight, wouldn't it? God. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, like we'll we'll bring more coaching talk later on. But uh, you know, we've got we've got too much Pro Bowl to talk today. Um, <laughs> in terms of players, um, Jamie Collins got a big extension in Cleveland, which was kind of expected given that uh, they traded for him. They were definitely going to do it, and they've got a absolute boatload of cap room to use. So four years, fifty million, twenty six million guaranteed. You've got to think, Harry, that the reason that he got shipped out of New England is that they're afraid he's going to get this $26 million hit his account and he's just going to put down tools and not do shit. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I, I do think that New England probably didn't want to pay him that anyway because we have to clear up room to pay uh, Don Hightower and Malcolm Butler. So I think Collins was just a lower priority. So it made sense. Like In retrospect, when you look at the way it's panned out, it kind of moved, it made sense for everyone. New England get their pick. Now, they probably would have got a comp pick anyway. But the risk of that is you have to be careful what you do in free agency and also it would have been kicked the year down the line. So this way they get to bring that forward. Clearly they saw something mm-hmm. they liked in this draft. Collins goes, gets a chance to play. Actually played quite well this season, yeah. uh, including all things considered. And I don't think people credit him for as well as he did play down there. He was, he was very, very active. Cleveland get a, a talented piece on defense. It does have talented pieces in there. It just isn't a particularly good cohesive unit. And he gets the, he gets the money he wanted. So it's sort of, it sort of really worked out for everyone. And, I think Cleveland's definitely see this guy as being a building block. And look, you can question his attitude and all of this stuff. The thing is, he wasn't a guy who took plays off. He did his own thing and he did weird stuff and he caused problems. We're not looking at Albert Hainsworth part two, you know? Okay. Yeah. And we're not looking at a guy who will just, just give up as from what we've seen on, from him so far. Although, uh, obviously, there are other, other concerns there. Yeah. No, uh, like we'll, we'll see how it works out. I think Cleveland had to, well, they have to spend the money anyway or else they get fined. So uh, this is, if he plays to the level he's played so far, it's a good investment, mm-hmm. I think. But we'll see, because uh, I think that is what some of the some of the rumor mill is saying at the moment that that was the fear. Uh, T.J. Ward had his fine rescinded this week uh, because celebrations are clearly the worst thing in the world, rather than player safety. Like, why did this happen? I, I don't know. Uh, so T.J. Ward was fined for essentially suplexing Julian Edelman when Julian Edelman didn't even have a ball during game, then running around flexing his biceps like an idiot, like he just done the best thing in the world, even though he just given up a fifteen yard penalty for unnecessary roughness. Yeah. I, I have no idea why I did this. The best theory I've heard as to why the NFL decided to rescind this fine is that they reckon Ward was concussed at the time and didn't know what he was doing. Oh. That's the most plausible thing we've got from it. It's really, really weird that like week in, week out, we see people fined for stupid shit, um, for celebrations, for like flexing. As Carlos Hyde was fine for just mm-hmm. flexing without even suplexing anybody earlier in the season. Yeah. And that stood. So I don't know what the NFL's logic here is. It's another piece of just inconsistent application of disciplinary procedures that they decided that actively doing something that is 
really dangerous, to be honest with you. And mm-hmm. then uh, obviously showboating about it uh, isn't worthy of a fine being maintained. So I, I don't know. And it, 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 it's frustrating. Like It seems like every week we have one of these weird, and here's how the NFL decided to interpret their disciplinary rules this week because Roger Goodell like, spanned the wheel yeah. and landed on rescind the fine. No, of course, of course. We had a couple of, well, we had one definite and one potential retirement uh, being discussed this week. Zach Orr from Baltimore had a very serious injury, looked neck-related, could be potentially debilitating for a much longer term than just his football career. Uh, so he's decided after it's three years, I believe, as a as a player, that he's going to step away from the game. Fitz, like, presumably, this is a this is a good decision if, if it was this serious an injury. We're talking about your neck here, obviously... He's been told that uh, if he plays, well, one assumes that he's been told if he plays, there's a chance he can more or less break his neck and basically be paralyzed. That's the level of thing we're talking about here. Like, don't forget, this is a guy who was a undrafted free agent and it's in the third year of his contract. So if he kept playing for one more year, uh, as someone who made the ultimate All-Pro, he was someone who's going to get a fair amount of money. Like, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars yeah. on the table. So that kind of gives you an indication of the level of like danger involved in this situation i think it's a loss for baltimore i think you know like over the years they've been slowly adding talented pieces like or and this is definitely a loss but i think in this case health definitely comes above anything else but it's good to know that he obviously feels that he's financially financially secure enough that he doesn't have to take this risk and uh, i wish him all the best in his future endeavors yeah like our our next person who's discussing it is uh, not quite as savory a character we will say Big rapey Ben Roethlisberger, allegedly. He has come out after getting the shy kicked out of him, as we will discuss later on, uh, and said, you know what, he might not want to come back. He might be done. He's going to talk to his family about it. He's going to prey on it. And then he's going to make a decision. This would mean, obviously, a big change in Pittsburgh if he was to do it. I honestly think he just wants to get a bit of publicity for himself. I don't actually buy this story from him at the moment. And also, we've heard a report today that if they don't have specific clauses in his contract, him retiring now would mean that he would owe Pittsburgh $18.5 million back. So, do we think there's any credibility to this, Harry? Not not really. Like, this is the logical extension of him putting on a walking boot every time he gets hit. Yeah. Like, it's, it's bollocks, to be honest with you. The man is not smart. We know the man is not smart. However, he also is a man who has very highly paid advisors. I'm sure he is fully aware of the financial situation that he would be going into. He's got no reason to retire, really. It's not like he's his players declined. He's got fantastic weapons around, and this is still a good team. Now, the interesting aspect of this is that we know there's been some friction between him and Mike Tomlin during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Roethlisberger has been complaining about the locker room. He's been um, criticizing Tomlin and saying that Tomlin needs to control players better throughout the season, more or less, saying you don't have uh, authority here, which, of course, has been yap- lapped up by the usual crowd of Yinzers who just want uh, who just want their previous coach to come back yeah. and take everything over because Tomlin, you know, he's one of those. Yeah. And it baffles me because he's an incredibly good coach, like all the things considered, it's been very consistently successful. But the point remains that this is, to me, I think this is some kind of weird power play within the locker room that Roethlisberger is engaging in. Mm. He clearly doesn't seem to be getting on very well with Tomlin at the moment. We know that there's friction going back as well with with Haley for quite some time yeah. about the style of offense they're running. And I think this is kind of an attempt to be like, I'm indispensable and I'm going to remind you of that because if I go, you can have all the weapons in the world and you're trotting Andrew Jones out of quarterback. Well, this is the thing because I do, I do get a feel that it is that type of thing. And this, this shows the, how the, the fan love for him and shows to the, to the management and stuff, not necessarily to the coaching, but to the management and the ownership that 
there will be revolt or there will be, you know, huge fallout from me stepping away. So if we've got any tension here, you've got to side with me on this. Like, does that feel right to you, Fitz? Yeah, like, it's a bit of a power play. It's a bit of a drama play. Like, we all know, like, Ben Roethlisberger, he likes, he likes a bit of drama. I think in the end, the financial situation as outlined probably mean that he will come back, basically. Now, the team, like, if he did retire, there would be an interesting choice there because the team... If they choose not to get that money back, it will count against the cap. If they get it back, it doesn't count against the cap. So there's an additional level of kind of intrigue there. But yeah, for me, it, it seems more like a like a power slash drama play, and it'll all be sorted out. Like emotions are obviously kind of high at the moment. You're facing a big off season, and obviously you're not getting any younger. But I think at the end of the day, money talks, and he'll be back next season. The Steelers do have uh, a good ownership, and we've seen that over the years. Do you, you think if any organization uh, can handle a situation like this, you think the Steelers will be one of the ones who who have enough good people in front office and in the ownership to, to smooth this over? Or they'll just go, perfect, retire, we'll have that $18.5 million. that'll pay for Romo, we've got a great O-line, and we've got a shit ton of weapons. Oh man, that's brilliant. That would be incredible. <laughs> That'd be perfect, because then Roethlisberger's out of the league as well. Roethlisberger <laughs> 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 then goes down to back up Dak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure I'll invent some more fun mm-hmm. off-season narratives for uh, to fill in some of our time over the Hashtag next content. Hashtag, Hashtag content. content. Injury news. Uh, Andrew Luck has had shoulder surgery. It's a six-month recovery. Well, it's a three-month recovery and then three months to get back up to speed throwing and, and exercising and stuff. Obviously, they're hoping for a healthy return. But to be fair, this is because they've mismanaged Andrew Luck. They haven't protected him. They haven't sorted out the line. They've allowed him to get absolutely destroyed. So obviously this is bad, but it seems to be good timeline, positive stance on it. They don't seem to expect there to be any problems here. So I think it's just okay. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's just significant enough. Like Obviously, something could go wrong, but obviously a six-month timeline means that things could potentially go worse and- you know, you have infections, etc. But yeah, like more or less, it should be fine by the time real football action is coming back. Yeah, though, like, uh, yeah, it should be, it should be okay. And to be honest, as much as I'm not a huge fan of the Colts, in fact, I don't really like the Colts very much. Andrew Luck is great, and I would like to see him continue in the league, maybe in a slightly less injured capacity every time he's not playing my team. <laughs> uh, and then finally, we've got an interesting bit of a trade rumor that's been running around this week. I'm not sure exactly where this came from to start, but it's now come up from several sources. Kirk Cousins is now going to be at the Pro Bowl, which we will obviously discuss in depth soon. Um, that's obviously a big boon to him. Looks good on the CV. They're in discussions about tagging him for a second year, paying quite a lot for that, or uh, getting him a long-term deal. But at the moment, there's now discussions coming out of uh, Mzungu headquarters that they might look to trade him to a Browns or to a 49ers. Um, obviously, both teams have enough cap space that they'd be able to get a long-term deal done. I'd be intrigued to know what, one, how legitimate you think these things might be, but two, what do you think they'd be able to talk? Because I presume this is going to feed directly into a longer-term deal that they will discuss with Cousins in advance rather than just be a trade him for one year and sort it out yourself scenario. What do you think would be the market for him? He's a starting quarterback. The market will be significant. We saw earlier on in the offseason, albeit under kind of, very difficult circumstances that Sam Bradford can still net you a first and a fourth rounder. That's the type of level you get for a starting level quarterback. Kirk Cousins is younger. Kirk Cousins is healthier. Kirk Cousins had a much better last two seasons. Um, so if if they actually are willing to trade him, although it, to my mind it seems like a terrible idea, 
then the market is there to get at least the first rounder, possibly more on top of that. Even with a one-year thing, those teams are desperate enough, and you can all, obviously there's a potential for a bidding war there, not only with those two teams, but perhaps other desperate teams like the Bears, that, yeah, I think you'll get plenty of value for them. Seller's markets, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Um, like To me, this is flying a balloon out. This is kind of a, oh, Seeing let's, let's start some rumours, see what comes out of it. Maybe put a bit of pressure on Cousins for negotiations, remind him that he's not the be all and end all, though. I don't know. Either they, if they're willing to go through with this, then either they A, think they can get a very high first round pick, and then are probably also presumably very high on somebody like Deshaun Watson, or they're really, really, really convinced that Colt McCoy is the answer. For <laughs> it would be the most Washington thing, though, wouldn't it? After, like, building up Cousins, like, developing him turning him into like a, a pretty good, like definitely above average starter in the oh, NFL. Yeah. Uh, him having a great season, and then they trade him and yeah. start from scratch again. That would just be the most Washington thing to do because that organization is still a clusterfuck. Oh, 100%. Like like I said, I'm not sure how much I'd buy this. I think it is just a just a taster kind of thing, just get a feel for it. But uh, yeah, I think, I think you're probably looking at like first and a third maybe. If they can get a longer-term deal done, definitely something like a first and a third. Because if you think they, you've seen multiple people give up multiple first rounds to take a shot at rookies, this is a guy who's proven himself to be able to to run a, a an offense at a pretty decent level and just come shy of the the playoffs. So I think um, they will be. I think I think they'll be intrigued by what comes out. I think that's the one thing. Some of the people who would probably offer weird shit, like Ryan Grigson is no longer able to start trading <laughs> multiple first rounders for people who won't start in his team. So that is a loss. I think this probably came out before he was fired. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see if anything actually develops out of this thing. But uh, without any further ado, I suppose there were two pretty important games on the weekend. We should probably discuss them before we move on to the most important game. So let's move on to the games for last week. So we'll go through them in order of uh, how they how they happen. First up, Green Bay 21, Falcons 44. Uh, who could have thought that a game where you score 44 points and win by 23 could undersell how dominant you were in a game? This is a Falcons team that were up 31 to nothing in the third quarter, which I think is a far better indicator of the relative levels of skills on display in this game. Uh, Matt Ryan with over 70%, completion, 392 yards, four passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Julio Jones, 180 yards, two touchdowns. We'll have more on that later. But injuries did play a part for the Green Bay team. They had five offensive linemen out. They had no one left on the bench to go in if anyone else got injured. They'd have to repurpose defensive players. They had no defensive backs left. And they were just a team that couldn't keep pace here at all. Like, Rodgers padded his numbers a bit in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, But, like, strong pressure from Atlanta's defense. They look quite good. Two sacks and interception. And just constantly just knocking... Rogers to the ground like there was one in particular when he was standing in his own end zone trying to pass and he just got flattened it says a worrying thing about this Green Bay team as well that Rogers led their rushing attack with 42 yards the next person had 17 and that was someone who wasn't really playing after the first quarter Harry was this a failure to adjust things like O-line and defensive pressure schemes from Green Bay or was it a case of this was just a bridge too far yeah, like I think there's certainly an element that they schematically could have been better, but like you said, they were extremely depleted in both of those positions. I think it was Ronan last week mentioned uh, Gunter, the cornerback, as being a, a liability. That was against Julio Jones. It, it was a massacre. It wasn't even close. Credit to Demarius Randall for managing to take some of the slack by getting monstrously stiff-armed on one of Jones's <laughs> runs. But 
the O-line was banged up. They didn't have, like I said, they nearly ran out of players by the end of the game. DBs, I, ever since, like, the lack of Sam Shields this season has... Who was, it, was, it was a reasonably good, not, like, elite, but very solid cornerback has really hurt them in the backfield. And obviously, Randall was missing part of the season as well. It hasn't looked right mm-hmm. since he came back, to be honest with you. The team just doesn't have enough equipment. And you can only... Aaron Rodgers can only do so much. He can't do it every time. There's always a potential for him to do it every time. But you can't consistently rely on one player to do that when... His protection isn't there when his team can't get off the field and when there is no, as you mentioned, no running game. Ty Montgomery uh, got hurt and then they just sort of gave up on it completely. Now, they were in a hole anyway, but Christian Michael came on and did absolutely nothing. It was brutal. Like, just the lack of vision. Remember he got tackled from behind when he just stood still yeah. and was like, which way am I meant to go? He was like doing, doing, yeah, doing the dancing feet and then somebody mm. just ambled up behind him and I think, tackled him I think, he, I think he had two decent runs in the entire game and that was it. And they were just two ones where they opened up a hole and said, just run straight. Just yeah. don't think about it. Just run straight. So, like, this team just ran out of gas essentially at this point. Like, they were relying on those miracles. They were relying on Rodgers' magic and there's just only so much you can do. And that's what you have to look at going forward. You're like, yeah. we have... At some point, you have got to help them out. And while some areas of the team are fine, you look at it like, right, we're missing depth on the O-line, even though we have good starters. Similar situation in San Diego. Or, sorry, Los Angeles, as they are. Yes, Los Angeles. Um, we don't have backfield depth. Our number one corner went down. We were never able to fill those gaps. We need to look at that. The linebacking core is fine, but you have to say Clay Matthews is no longer an absolutely dominant player. Not at all. He doesn't. Yeah, I know you think that. I never they, accepted that he was. They met, that's true, that's true. They, they still miss BJ Raji on the defensive line. Mm. Like, this team is is missing an awful lot of pieces and has been, I think, able to get away with it because of Rodgers for so long. But again, when you get to this point and when the expectations are so high as they are for a team like Green Bay, as they are for any team that has a quarterback of Rodgers' character... Even when you get this deep, getting blown out like this, and it's not the first time they've been blown out this season. They've been blown out by much worse teams than the Falcons. You have to say something is missing, and it's really easy to identify what those things are. What's going to be interesting to see how Green Bay prioritize them. Personally, I'd be looking for for pass rush. Like, Peppers is old. Uh, Perry is fine. He's solid. He's not great. They're, they're struggling at interior pressure. Clay Matthews is still fine, but he's not, a, again, no longer an elite player. That's where they have to be looking. But equally, if they go O-line depth, if they go for a, a good cornerback, mm. these would be good moves to that team. But at the end of the day, they have to say, look, you've got Aaron Rodgers. He's got some great people to pass to, but that's not going to be enough when it really comes out of the crunch and when you're facing a team as good as Atlanta. And as Green Bay, your ambition always going to be to win the Super Bowl. That's what That's your ambition every season when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and they have to find ways to fulfill that. And that might mean breaking with the mold of what they've been doing, and that might mean, and this will be interesting, not just the draft, but also free agency, the team being more aggressive than they have been, and accepting that they can no longer afford to do things in-house in this era now, the players moving around a lot more, with uh, the cap expanding year on year, they've got to look to shake things up, and you don't need to completely sacrifice your core philosophy, you still look to develop in-house, but you have to say, right, even short-term, we need to fix these things because, you know, at some point this window is going to close. Oh, 100%. Fitz, I'll come to you, the Falcons. They were dominating from early and they didn't really let up. But then they went from not allowing any scoring against them for 35 minutes to then allowing 21 points within 20 minutes, quite rapid succession. So while this offense can steamroll, does that ability to like quickly start giving up points worry you, especially when you're looking at something like the Patriots with two weeks to prepare and look at what happened in that second half? Does their, does their ability to lose strength on defense worry you moving forward? Yeah, no, it's definitely an issue. Like I think particularly on the back end, like their, their number one cornerback right now is probably Robert Alford, who's basically a pass interference machine. 
And it, it's just the case that, like, you know, Dan Quinn is putting together a really nice young nucleus of players, but they're all maybe like a year or two, with the exception of maybe like Big Beasley, of like fulfilling that potential. I think he's obviously building a defense in the mold of the Seattle defense that he was in charge of uh, a few years ago, which is based on very quick, rangy linebackers getting pressure up front and having, you know, uh, big, strong cover corners. Obviously, you know, they're missing a couple of, like Desmond Trufant, for example. So, they, yeah, like I think all season that's been the issue. They've had to rely on their offense basically scoring infinite points to be able to mask the problems with the defense. But, you know, at this point, it doesn't really seem to matter because the offense is so dominant. Like, in a game in which the running game never really got going, they simply just reverted to going, okay, well, Julio Jones is currently covered by Gunter. We'll throw to Julio Jones. And that basically was enough to beat this team. Like I think against better, like I think against the best team in the AFC, perhaps that will become an issue. But I think yeah, the defense, particularly when it when it when it isn't playing aggressively, when they try to like protect the lead, have continuously given up points uh, in that spot. They did it in this game. They did it in like the New Orleans game towards the end of the season. They've done it in several other games this season. I think there's definitely an issue there that if this is a team which is leading by say 10, 14 points going into the fourth quarter, it's not the defense that you're going to have to rely on. You're going to have to say offense, keep going, keep scoring points, and that's not the ideal situation to be in. But like I think you know the defense is starting to get there, and it's probably going to get a bit overhyped because it's Super Bowl. But there's definitely a lot of issues there, and a good offense and a clever offense uh, could definitely take advantage of the issues there. Uh, we can only we only need to look at the next review to know what happens when a young defense faces off against a clever uh, a clever offensive plan. Well, that's a very uh, professional bit of linking you've done there, uh, Fitz. We're going to move <laughs> on to the next game: Steelers seventeen at New England thirty six. Uh, Tom Terrific and the Patriots are on their way to yet another Super Bowl with a thorough drubbing of, of the Ben Roethlisberger Steelers. Um, while Pittsburgh fans might kind of look at Bell leaving the game after, I think, just six carries, uh, New England's defence seemed to have their number 100% throughout this game. Kind of zone defence for some reason that they decided to play allowed Brady 384 yards, three touchdowns, including Chris Hogan going off for 180 and two touchdowns, which means Chris Hogan equals Julio Jones which is a very, very weird thing to say. And I would I would hazard more a reflection of the Pittsburgh defense than necessarily Julio Jones. Like at one point, this was 36 to nine in a fourth quarter lead. This was as thorough a drumming as you're going to get. Drops, lack of execution and distractions left the Pittsburgh team just massively undermatched and overwhelmed. Although there was an interesting bit as well that I, I think you might enjoy, Harry, about the psychological games that were going on and how that might have impacted their coaching there is a picture that went out on social media from the night before the game where the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers had literally chained up and locked up their locker rooms for fear of the Patriots <laughs> wandering in there and finding their secrets. They had like brought their own chains and locks with them. It was a weird one. Like Fitz, the Steelers looked like they were, they, to be honest, they looked like they were just not prepared. Their defensive plan seemed off. Their offense, maybe it was a fact that Bell wasn't there. Because even if the running game wasn't there, he's a good pass catching back. But like, is this the failure of the team, or is this a failure of the coaching? Or again, is it maybe just something where they were overmatched? Because I think that there's definitely responsibility on someone. On offense, you could come up with a wide set of reasons and excuses why they underperformed. Obviously, Lev Bell goes out at, at, at before the end of the first quarter. Obviously, he basically dragged them in several games this season. Uh, but obviously he had a twinge in his groin 
early on and doesn't do anything. And like D'Angelo Williams is a good running back, but he isn't going to win you the game by himself and he needed to. Like obviously Antonio Brown was basically double, triple covered, whatever, throughout the entire game. There's statistics that show that with Antonio Brown, that's one of the few times that the England Patriots sent their number one cornerback, Malcolm Butler, to basically stick to him and take him out. And they had Devin McCourty basically over the top. And like this is the kind of game where you miss Martavius Bryant uh, and Marcus Wheaton. They're like obviously their sorry, number two and number three receivers uh, if they hadn't had suspension and injury respectively. So it was a, it was a game where Eli Rogers, uh, Kobe Hamilton, Sammy Coates had some chances to make some plays. And particularly in the latter two cases, they didn't make their plays. There was a couple of like very significant drop passes in the second quarter and the third quarter when the Steelers were still in the game. But when you talk about this game, I think you can't ignore the fact that this was really a case where the defense got completely outthought, completely out, outplayed, and completely destroyed by an offensive plan that would seem specifically designed to basically throw them off. Like This is a young defense, uh, particularly in secondary, and New England ruthlessly exploited that. They ran the ball quickly, they ran the ball very effectively, and what happened is that the defense just didn't have time to set itself and actually make itself available to, to stop them. And like, you know, they have a couple of experienced players, like James Harrison, of course, but this defense is quite young, it is very inexperienced, and it was just ruthlessly exposed. And yeah, you probably have to do a lot of, like a lot of that has to probably go on, uh, like on the defensive coordinator, and on Mike Tomlin as well, because, you know, they should have known this was coming. This is New England, we know they can do horrible if they need to be, and it can be absolutely devastating when they do. This is something they should have prepped for. And of course, like, it, it all comes down to that, like the illustrative case, which is now we talked about along, a lot is that you know the defensive like uh, one of the players admitted that they hadn't really been prepared for the flea thicker play which went for a touchdown uh and then there was people referencing that it happened a couple of years ago and that there's a very famous play involving the patriots um uh, and randy moss from a, a bit further back which in which they scored a touchdown as well so that kind of shows uh, kind of the contrasting cultures i suppose between the two teams which of course can only be more emphasized i'm sure off the offseason due to the situation around Antonio Brown, who will now get the Odell Beckham treatment because of, you know, his lack of maturity regarding stuff like social media and whatever. Yeah, like a lot of failures around here, plenty to pass around. Uh, so I think it's just one of those cases that uh, the, the Steelers are going to have to come back together and, and see if they can pull this back together and build on what they've done this year. But for now, the Patriots will continue to have their number uh, for a while to go, you'd imagine. Yeah, and interestingly enough, exactly the fact that there's so much, uh, so much kind of blame to go around uh, might be fueling uh, Rapey Ben's comments this week to try and avoid him, get himself out of that conversation and make it about. But he's been so great for so long. Remember, remember, <laughs> Harry. So it's a mistake-prone Texans and a real anemic feeling Pittsburgh team that were the two stops on New England's route to the Super Bowl, and both were games at home. Does it worry you that you haven't had a proper test yet when you're going in to face a team like the Falcons? Or does the fact that they've performed so efficiently in this game, if maybe not in the Houston game, make you feel, look, it's okay, they'll play up to the opposition? Yeah, look, I think you always have to believe in this coaching staff and in this the talent on this team, Tom Brady, that they'll find a way. I mean, yeah, the Houston game was, was an anomaly. Part of this was Pittsburgh didn't play well. Part of it was New England making Pittsburgh look bad. Like, look... I think Rose a little harsh on Pittsburgh in the sense that you can't teach his own defense to play man in a week. You're just not you're not going to do it. But what New England did was they exploited it to absolute perfection. So you have to imagine, given what we know about them, given what they showed this week, they're going to be able to 
well, try to do something similar against the Falcons. Whether or not it's going to work, that remains to be seen. That's going to be very, very exciting and interesting. But for the most part, it's a case of... So you, you can't judge New England based on the, on the calibre of opposition at this point. Like, this team has won consistently against good teams as well. Like, Pittsburgh were considered to be a good team. They were considered to be wobbly and a threat. But this is still, you know, they still passed for over 300 yards. Like, DeAndre Williams didn't have a terrible game, all things considered. They just weren't able to get it done against a team that, like, out-schemed and out-coached them for the most part. So I'm not sure it's just a question of talent, although certainly the Falcons are a more talented team than Pittsburgh and are going to pose, I think, a lot more questions um, for New England. And again, even against the team that they were set up to win, like, you look at Tom Brady's numbers, right? Tom Brady completed over 70% of his passes, and there were at least four egregious drops by receivers in that game, two from uh, Mitchell and two from Hogan. I don't think it's entirely fair to say that this is just this is just a case of the opposition. And I think you'll say that New England always find a way to stay competitive in games. There's no assumption that they'll just sort of collapse against the Falcons when they come up against a better team. Because we know better than this. We know this team is better than that. And we know this team is smarter than that. What I think is going to be very interesting is, um, like I said about being able to take away Antonio Brown, they're obviously not really going to be able to do the same thing against Julio Jones. Brown has, like, he's a fantastic player, but... The physical matchup that Jones uh, creates is daunting and much, much more difficult to do against. He's a lot bigger than Malcolm Butler, which Antonio Brown isn't, and that makes it much more difficult to play that kind of physical press that they did with him to take Brown out of the game. What also concerns me is, like you mentioned, there were a lot of drops going on, uh, particularly from uh, Hamilton and Coates. When Eric Rowe was in coverage, I don't know if Mohamed Sanu drops those balls. I don't think he does. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of thing you've got. You, you do have to be concerned about is that outside of Malcolm Butler, our uh, cornerbacks didn't play fantastically. And um, where most of Brown's yards came when he was matched up either on Rowe or Logan Ryan, uh, where on the plays where a few plays where Butler didn't follow him across the field. So definitely questions there. But I think what you can take from it is you're like, look, this is a team that knows how to set itself up to maximize its its chances against an opponent. They did it against Pittsburgh. They came up with a perfect game plan offensively and defensively to neutralize Pittsburgh. I wouldn't be I'm not, you know, I'm not hugely confident in the game against Falcons. I don't think it's an easy win. It's definitely not going to be an easy game. But I wouldn't look at this and be like, look, yeah, well, that was just another soft matchup for New England. They're fine. I think we we know they're better than that. And I think that you're underselling uh, the level to which the game plan was conceived and executed. And you'd have to imagine that they will be able to come up with something against the Falcons to be at least competitive, if mm-hmm. not better than them. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Like I said, we'll to discuss the, the upcoming game a lot more uh, next week, uh, but there's a far more important game to get to. Uh, but before we even get to that, we're going to go to some questions from the listeners. So we've got a couple of questions in. Uh, we're going to try and fire through them. So if you hear your question, you hear your question. We're just going to fly through because it's kind of Pro Bowl special edition here. Why don't we just have the Pro Bowl every week? This is a very good question. <laughs> the Pro Bowl is the greatest game in the world. The problem is you need to have the other games where they match up against the scrubs, like the scrubs who are playing in two weeks' time rather than in a week's time. Uh, like You have to have them play each other so you can then decide who is the greatest and who deserves entry into the Pantheon. If we had this every week, we'd have to expand rosters. We can't have that happen. Like, you know, the NFL is really just a developmental league for the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's like if you have ice cream for dessert every day, it kind of loses the luster. Exactly. It just you, you, you'll develop lactose intolerance. That's yeah, what you'll exactly, do. That's it. Like <laughs> we need we we need the chaff of the normal season to be able to experience the true sweet <laughs> beauty of the of the Pro Bowl. Thank you, listener, for that question. And next, Mr. Prime, so you can enjoy your Pro Bowl. <laughs> that's it. Um, 
Question two, why is the Super Bowl played after the Pro Bowl? It's clearly the inferior football product. Yeah, like, it's true. But I think it is in the same way that we want to have this as a, as a lovely sweet dessert. Sometimes you need, like, a little aperitif afterwards, like just a palate cleanser. It's essentially the half shot of, of Jägermeister you get down in, like, the, uh, in, the, in the Greek restaurant whenever you've finished your, your, your dessert. I think this might actually be a serious question. No, every other sport has the All Star Game after the. It's true. Finale. It's true. And what this is is like to be serious. Sorry to kill you. Go to your Pro Bowl hype in a second. Well, this legitimately is just the fact that if the Pro Bowl is after the Super Bowl, you might be able to have the teams from the Super Bowl turning up. Well, I was going to say nobody watches the Pro Bowl, but yeah, that too. Ah, no, 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 no. Sorry to break kayfabe for a second there. Let, let, less people will watch the uh, will watch the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, clearly they'll all be waiting for the Pro Bowl. That's it. I think that's it. It just gets the juices flowing so people will then be up for watching the shit show that's always the Super Bowl, you know? Question three. Is the reason that the Atlanta and New England player is not playing uh, this week because they can't hang in a big game? Well, clearly, clearly that is the, the truth. We gave some of them the options, you know? Some of them had the choice to come, but they're too afraid. They're too afraid of what will happen because they know they're not quite up to scratch. Like, most of the teams that dropped out during the playoffs only did so because they were arresting starters to allow their starters to get to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, and New England are notorious for being pussies, basically, and can't handle the big game and always drop out beforehand. They always cry like, oh, I have a mysterious injury. I'm definitely questionable. Like they do during the, during the year, but, you know, during the year they get the beat up on, you know, the Jets, so you know, then yeah. they show up anyway. But when it's against the real contender, they're like, "Oh, I gotta step away." Very sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, last, last last time you played in the big game against New England, there, weren't you? That's because they were resting their players. The players had exhausted themselves at the Pro Bowl. That that wasn't Michael Bennett that was playing. That was a third brother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, finally, and this is one that we're very looking forward to. Who are we most looking forward to in the Pro Bowl Skills Showdown Dodgeball Edition? I I don't know, because some of these people are going to be terrible. Like, look, as much as I love Alex Smith, I'm not backing Alex Smith in a in a in a game Dink of dodgeball. Dink and dunk dodgeball. Like. like that's it. I have an answer. Richie Incognito. <laughs> oh, he would be he would, he would be a strong one for that. Richie Incognito didn't make the uh, dodgeball roster. Shot oh, oh, he, no, yeah. No, no, he, he's 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 in there. Um, he's just going to pretend to be T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, difference, could he? Yeah, I could probably Incognito was the kind of guy who would turn up in blackface. That's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, I, uh, I, I, I want to see. I want to see. I, I reckon. I reckon Joe Thomas has got an absolute cannon for an arm. Like I, I think. I think Von Miller. I think Von Miller is just gonna it's gonna alternate his swim move and just use <laughs> it to just whip one like I'm telling you the force of an O lineman throwing ball. This is the AFC might actually win this one. <laughs> yeah, they've got definitely got a better roster. Yeah, they do for this now. I don't know why. I, I, I presume it's just because the other ones are, are you know resting themselves for the big game. Uh, that's why it's only a partial section. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a reversion back uh, to to the old format. It's Time for AFC versus NFC, so I suppose it's time for us to move on to uh, our game preview of the week. So, the big game is this week. We've got the Pro Bowl, NFC versus AFC. Uh, coaching the AFC is Andy Reid. Coaching the NFC is Jason Garrett in what is turning remarkably close into uh, Chiefs versus the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> uh, in several places, giving the starting quarterback and running back combo for the NFC is going to be uh, Dak Prescott and Ziggy Elliott, and we're going to have Alex Smith starting for the, uh, for the, for the AFC team. 
So this is a section that Ronan's called Snubs and Scrubs, uh, kind of who should have been brought in, even if they got brought in as alternate, should have been there earlier. As also, who do you think uh, is in there and definitely shouldn't be there? So I suppose, Harry, uh, would you give us uh, one snub and one scrub, please? Can I only do one? We'll start you with okay, one okay, and then we'll right, work right, from right. there. Well, I, I, look, okay, I'll save my best one for last. The exclusion of Malcolm Butler is ridiculous. Uh, Malcolm Butler has been a top five corner in the league this season. He has cornerback was such a huge question for New England. We saw it this week again. He is really the only good cornerback on that team, and the difference he is able to make. He is a guy New England have who can match up on one on one receive one on one with number one receivers consistently. He's playing he's incredibly good uh, in both zone and man coverage. He's been having a great season. He's not getting thrown on much because he's that good of a lockdown guy. And that's given New England something really different. We've seen him handle Antonio Brown. We've seen him handle a variety of guys across the league. You Then you see fucking Stephon Gilmore, who has had a terrible season as the whole of the Buffalo defense, or even Aqib Tlaib, who isn't even the best cornerback in Denver. Stop my guys! Even the, like, he's, 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 he's the first guy selected to the pro... Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Connor. He's the first guy selected, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I just think that it's a weird thing in that New England are simultaneously, like... Totally, like, as is a Pat fan, totally overhyped as a unit. And then half people couldn't name a single player on defense. Yeah. And I think he's been a victim of that because Butler had a fantastic season. He's taken over. He owns that New England backfield. This is the number one defense in points allowed in the league. You can't do that without having a really, really good number one corner. That's what Butler has been this season. And it is, it is just a testament to how much people look scroll down the list and look for an established name that they recognize that guys like Aki Tlaib or Stefan Gilmore who was really good two years ago are making it and Malcolm Butler isn't yeah what about yourself Roland I know he's now made it in as an alternate but uh, I thought Sean Lee getting uh, but like like I know I know Luke Kuechly is great but he didn't really play this year like the defense in Carolina really wasn't up to its usual standard uh, I thought Bobby Wagner like made sense as the starter but like I think Luke Kuechly like, you know, I, there's definitely always a sense with the Pro Bowl that, that individuals choose based on name. I think Sean Lee had a great season in Dallas, and is obviously someone who probably deserves it, at least on a almost on a moral sense for the kind of tribulations he's had to go through to get there. And I think that was shown when he was selected to the All-Pro, uh, but wasn't really uh, put in there uh, at that point. Like, I wasn't really sure about, about some of these, like, selections, particularly... Uh, so like, Who's this David Johnson scroll? <laughs> <laughs> like I thought, one interesting one was like Geno Atkins in Cincinnati. Like you know, like maybe because Cincinnati were so incredibly boring. Maybe like I, like I think his statistics are okay, but I was surprised that he made such a quick like jump back into the into like the love I suppose of the Pro Bowl voters. I didn't really think he had an amazing season. Now to be fair, there was like there's probably like not that many. Uh, amazing candidates there but like for a defence that really did nothing all year it was surprising to see him kind of jump up from there uh, to see really anyone except for AJ Green into consideration for the thing so I think that was that was a bit of a surprise in terms of someone showing up uh, uh, like as a starter in, in the Pro Bowl uh, this year yeah, like uh, this is this is the one downside of of doing the the announcing section. I've had uh, some of my ones taken by both of you, <laughs> you bitches. In terms of uh, a snub, one that I thought. Surprised me a lot not to see the name there was uh, was Joey Bosa. I thought Joey Bosa had an excellent season. Wasn't injured till the very end, so while most of the voting should have been done, was playing outlandishly good to the extent of discussion of kind of defensive player, uh, defensive rookie of the year, even though he missed the first couple of weeks. Like he was unreal, and then didn't even make it into the conversation at all. So I thought him being got obviously Sean Lee was a big obvious one that I kind of thought 
you know, with if you get a first team all pro, how do you not even get on until they start doing alternates later on? Um, in terms of scrubs, I wanted to I wanted to talk about Akeem Talib because he's just a scumbag. But uh, hey, and then I was going to say the, the better cornerback in that team then got selected. I think three selections later, I will go with uh, one of the following two: Justin Tucker. Cause I fucking <laughs> hate Justin Tucker. Why does the public vote for him? He's a, he's annoying as fuck. But um, the the one that I think is a proper scrub that's on here. Corderell Patterson is in there as a punt returner. Can you not just find me like a fifth string wide receiver who I can trust the hands of more? I'm pretty certain I could probably have as safe a pair of hands. I wouldn't be as quick as him, but I'd have as safe a pair of hands as this guy does. And he's, it's still based on a couple of years ago and everyone's like, he's an offensive weapon. He's amazing. He could do, he could revolutionize the game. Like he's a waste of space. Shouldn't be on there at all. There's far better options. Um, based, but, based on last week, they probably should have put Devin Hester back. Yeah, Devin Hester. Like, that is, that <laughs> even Tyler Rockett from the way he was playing this season. Like. Yeah, but um, so there is there is a few. Now, obviously, there's, Apparently I've got so many more. <laughs> the, the, obviously, there's depth on these teams, so fly through a few more. All right, all right. Here's a few. Here's a few that I think are, are, are egregious. So on the these are all uh, these are all AFC for some reason I think so because because it's the first section of the website and you yeah, yeah. are doing half the research no, no but genuinely no uh, uh, <laughs> uh, right uh, offensive tackle right Taliwan Andrew Whitworth being selected ahead of any pick any of Marcus Cannon Mitchell Schwartz and Jack Conklin pick one send them ahead of them they even better Taliwan isn't the best tackle in Tennessee it is ludicrous that he is going again and he's also an arsehole Andrew Whitworth like the rest of the Bengals is that a down year rep sent on name recognition Pat Mackey said ahead of Marquette King. Ah, fuck the NFL. Like, King has had a better season. King is a second team uh, all, all pro. Pat McAfee is a guy who does bad stand-up. Like, no, what are you doing? Stop. But people don't understand. He is comments. destroyer of worlds. True, true. Now, in fairness, okay, those are two positions where people don't really understand. I'm not going to get into the long snappers and Nate Ebner, but, yeah. you know, people don't really understand those positions that well to the casual fan. I can understand it. Here's two for you, right? So, firstly, at... Defensive end, speaking of people from Cincinnati, got very down to Cincinnati. Carlos Dunlap being sent ahead of Joey Boza, who would have been one. You could also say Whitney Merciless. I'm not sure what position Merciless is listed at. He plays defensive end, ILB and OLB. And similarly, Benedict McKinney, also from the Texans. Both these guys, second team, all pro pro players, have incredible seasons. I'll be honest, over Carlos Dunlap, I'd take Chris Jones, and that's not just the homer in me. Yeah, absolutely. Carlos Dunlap, take him out. Or Brian Arakpo, take him out as well. Brian Arakpo, again, big-name guy. He was fine. He was solid. You look at the seasons McKinney and Merciless had, it is shocking that these guys did not get fan recognition Mm. because, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, why why I'm excited about Mike Vrabel, that linebacking core in Houston is A, insanely talented, B, playing at an insanely high level, and C, really, really well coached. And it's just depressing that the average fan can't recognize what really are some of the most visibly effective players on the field. Yeah. That worries me. It is it is a bit weird, but I suppose it's that there, there can be a disconnect sometimes between understanding what's good football and liking watching it. Maybe I, I, I don't know. Talib is the example of people not understanding why they should be voting for someone because he wasn't the best and he's a dick. Um, anyone you want to fire on there, Fitz? Before we move on. No, like I, I think that like the carry's been pretty comprehensive there. Uh, I just like to just say like KJ Wright managed to get in as an alternate. I thought he had a good season. And as a non-pass rushing OLB, it's obviously very difficult to get in the outside linebacker thing. So it was nice to see him get that at the Seahawks fan. Yeah. Oh, and one, one, one additional, uh, or sorry, two, two additional uh, scrubs. Like, why the fuck are both of the Denver wide receivers on here? Why do we have Emmanuel Sanders and Thomas? Like, 
neither of them had a particularly big year. Is it, I, I presume it's just based off history uh, rather than actual play this year. Oh, I forgot Richie. Where's Chris Hogan? I forgot Richie Incognito. <laughs> Fuck Richie Incognito. Uh, He's not even good. People yeah. are just voting for him because they know who he is. And why do they know who he is? Because he he's, bullies people. Yeah, because he's a dick. But like, oh, God. Fuck the Pro Bowl. Oh, oh no. Friends. You see, this is the thing. Pro Bowl's incredible. Look at all the emotions you've got there. <laughs> yeah. You're so into I'm that. Actually, I'm fully hyped on that. <laughs> um, so I suppose the, the, the big one is uh, who's going to win and why. So Fitz, who do you think is going to win? And give us a reason why. I think the NFC will win because offense wins. They've got Dak Prescott. They've got Zeke Elliott. They've got... Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, oh, assuming they don't drop out, and then the alternates they brought in is Des Bryant and Doug Baldwin. Uh, they, like they brought in Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham. Like, so, like, just look, like all of those are like really, really good players, and I expect that like they'll be lining up against like T. Y. Hilton, who's had a good season to be fair, and then Emmanuel Sanders, Jarvis Landry, and Demarius Thomas. They'll have Demarco Murray. That's nice, uh, but that's not really doing much for me personally. No. Uh, and the fact that you know it's Alex, like Alex Smith, nice guy. Oh yeah, great, I, but like, not really. This, this, this is this is the, exactly the reason I've got. I've taken the NFC in this as well. So let's go, Alex Smith and Andy Dalton versus Dak Prescott, Drew Brees, and Kirk Cousins. Like, yeah, give yeah. me give me Dak Brees and Cousins every single time in that scenario. Um, like, I would definitely looking at it. I think I'd definitely take the the defense in the AFC, and I think I'd probably actually definitely would take the special teams out of the AFC. But, like, defense doesn't matter a shit in this. And the special teams will be fun. It'll be fun in a game like this to see Tyree Kill returning kicks and stuff. Like, because no one's tackling that hard. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of special teams touchdowns. But, like, you just look at that. And it's also, like, look, I love you, Andy Reid. But, like, I'm going to watch him somehow manage to fuck up the time <laughs> management of a game that no one, no one cares about because they're just blown away by the spectacle. Like, maybe maybe this will teach him to loosen up a little bit. Run a two-minute trail. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Andy Reid, like, absolutely killing the clock manager. He absolutely oh, yeah. flawless he's in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, yeah, because it's the biggest game, so he's going to save all his exactly, clock management exactly, for it. Exactly. He's been building up for this for years. I know. I, I just hope both teams have a good time, you know. But, no, the NFC are going to win because, Jesus, have you seen... Have you, have you heard me about the AFC oh, roster yeah. there? Like, like, it's, it's just, brutal. It's brutal. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just crazy. It's, but it's because Dallas are turning up to the yeah, yeah. It's dicks, right? <laughs> um, like, of, of the people we've mentioned, we said, like, the quarterback, main running back, and probably one of the more exciting of the, of the wide receivers are all just Dallas players who are turning up with Dallas's coach. <laughs> it's going to be pretty It's going to be pretty, pretty comprehensive from that but, perspective. Yeah. I'm, like when the third string is like Drew Brees, I think you know you're in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> when 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 your opponent can't get Trevor Simeon to turn up, yeah. to play. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that is that is a worrying scenario. I'm going to close this Pro Bowl section out here with a little story. I was telling you this earlier, Connor. Oh yeah, this a is a great one. story. I don't know if you've heard this round about um, when Bill Belichick was coaching at the Pro Bowl. And no. this would have been quite some time ago. And uh, Tony Gonzalez was in the Pro Bowl. I think at the time Gonzalez was the Chiefs, but it might have been shortly after we moved to the Falcons. Mm. It was some time ago, anyway. So around 2000, 2000 yeah. somewhere between 2000 and 2003. It must have been the Chiefs, because it was before the yeah. fiddle, so it's the alignment. So yeah, yeah. he would have been in with the Chiefs. And um, it was a kickoff, and whatever kickoff happened, Gonzalez was out on special teams. He came back over the sideline, and Belichick basically chewed him out for not blocking on the kick. And Gonzalez got really angry obviously he's like who who does he think he is like it's it's a fucking pro bowl it's a fucking kickoff he got himself so worked up that on the next kickoff he went out and absolutely creamed some poor bastard like just took him out of the game blocked him into oblivion went back over to the sideline and went 
I've just been tricked into blocking on special teams at the Pro Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. We've got the skills games beforehand. Going to love them. Looking forward to seeing that. Got to, I'm sure we're going to get some great highlight reels from the dodgeball as well. It's uh, it's going to be a great one. It's uh, Pro Bowl hype. Pro Bowl hype. It's going to be great. Uh, Sony, cracking yourselves, lads, for the weekend. Pro Bowl. Uh, one more is one needs. Uh. <laughs> that's true. In fact, we've got an entire weekend because I think skills are on Saturday, aren't they? Yeah, it's actually. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, skills Saturday, Pro Bowl Sunday. Big weekend. Yeah, I think the skills might be actually before then. I think the 26th is when it kicks off. Oh, okay. I think I might be doing a few days of them. Should be, yeah, uh, should be good fun now. Uh, see if they return to the old uh, AFC, LFC division works. Uh, I think realistically it's only being done because last year someone decided to draft defense first. <laughs> yeah, that was like interesting, interesting decision. I, I, I think they should have kept the old format if they just separated offense and defense. Yeah, like your yeah. separate drafts for them. I think that makes sense. Uh, I think to be fair, I think some of the screwed up selections we're seeing as a result of it going, particularly the uh, AFC wide receivers, mm. are a result of it going back to that conference format. Mm. Meaning they're probably way better receivers in the NFC, and then again you see AFC defenders missing out. Yeah, worse NFC defenders going. Uh, because I've gone back to that conferencing thing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, yeah, it does, it does kind of suck if it's meant to recognize, you know. The best of the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, who the fans think are the best. And the best of the best. The fans think. Um, it's going to be the greatest game of football of our lives until next year's Pro Bowl. Well, unless, I know. Was it, was, it, was it Jeff Saturday who just switched teams for a snap? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, triple reverse flea flicker. Oh, something ridiculous is going to happen. It's gonna be fab. Was it? Was it last year? Was that the Richard Sherman uh, jet sweep? Yes, yes, it was. To to absolutely nowhere, oh, if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think he went negative twenty yards <laughs> on that, wasn't it? Absolutely. Awesome. He just went for a giant loop around jet sweep. <laughs> yeah, I think he saw the guys coming towards him and ran back the other way. Yeah. Oh my. But yeah, it should be good fun. So uh, Pro Bowl weekend should be fun. So guys, if you want to get any questions into us for next week, we're obviously going to be doing a big preview pod for the Super Bowl. Then we're all going to be up in Dublin for the Super Bowl. So we're going to do a live hungover pod the day after for our post-Super Bowl reactions. Uh, we're also obviously going to do three episodes in between on our Pro Bowl reactions. Uh, just feedback oh, from every day of the skills competition and then a two-hour-long episode just on the so play-by-play. We're going to commentate it live. You know? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, you'll see us on Facebook Live. I presume we're on Facebook. <laughs> uh, we are Facebook Live, yeah. We can. Uh, you, can, you can buy tickets on Etsy. Uh, and um, we'll put up screenshots on Pinterest yeah, you'll, you'll find it on our Instaface uh, unlike Bill Belichick we're on Instaface but yeah it's been real good so it's bye from myself bye from Harry bye bye from Ronan bye this has been all four quarters thanks for listening uh, Pro Bowl hype Pro Bowl hype